Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that plays a windfall into a narcissist parter of veils, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I am joined by the Ascendant Spirit herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? I'm doing good. Busy, but good. Um, mm. I've had a very productive week. Lots and lots of writing content for future articles and stuff. Mm-hmm. But managed to squeeze in a bit of magic here and there, which is quite nice because with Magic Arena, Kaldheim's now available. So I've been playing a little bit of Kaldheim uh, Best of One Draft because Sweet. I'm quite excited for the limited format, as mentioned in previous episodes. Um, yeah. Managed to draft a Red Black Berserkers list with the, the Blood Sky Massacre, the rare yeah. one, which is really, really good. It seems re- super good and limited. Mm. Initial thoughts, like the, the format seems quite grindy, which is what I wasn't expecting. I was kind of hoping it would be pretty aggressive because okay. I'm associating it with Ixalan. Yeah. Um, with that, you kind of want to draft some flyers just to break board stores because it gets really, really clogged up very quickly. Mm. But yeah, it was really, really fun. I went undefeated, so that was nice. that was nice to do. Um, hoping to do more mm. next week. And also, I was hoping to do the early access that Wizards kindly sent invites to people, but yeah. that was super short notice. I found out like 4am the morning of the event, so <laughs> Same here. naturally yeah. a bit frustrating, so I couldn't do that. But yeah, in terms of magic, that's all I got up to. With that, I did do some pre-orders for Kaldheim, which is not something Ooh. I normally do with new sets. It, I normally true. wait till they come out, but there are a couple of cards I want to pick up. So I picked up a couple of Bergy because I want to do Bergy Mono Red Storm in Commander as oh, you'd yeah. be happy to hear. Picked up some old growth trolls, some ascendant spirits, and a gold span dragon for EDH, as I don't normally pre-order mythics because they can be inflated. I just think that mm. card's going to... I feel like I've pre-ordered that card cheaper than what it's going to be at retail, just because I think it's going to be quite good in standard and, and in commander. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, in non-magic news, I'm still playing through Front Mission 3. You'd be happy oh, to know. I have hit the point where you can customise your Wanzas, so you have... So, for those who don't play Front Mission 3, you have <laughs> robots. You use these robots to fight other robots. Um, I'm at the point now where you can customise them and, like, add new parts and stuff, and that's where it gets really, really interesting. Yeah, it's like turn-based strategy kind of thing. It's so fun. Just We love robots. it so much. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting now because I've colour-coordinated all my robots and stuff, so everything's in order. Wait, wait, you do them all in one colour, is it? No, I do different colours. So I have like okay. red I have red for assault, I have blue ah, for like missile. <laughs> <laughs> I have red for assault, blue for like, you know, missile long range stuff. And then yep. I have like yellow for melee. That's what I go with. I have yellow for missiles, uh blue for snipers, and then red for assault, like I said. Well, you know the purple with the orange trim? Oh yes. That's what I use for the melee, because it's just really like bold and in your face. That's, yeah. that's what I like about my, my big punchy characters. I also use um, black for snipers because they're snipers, they need to hide. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a very urban sort of backdrop, so it's very browns yeah. and greys, so the black goes quite well. Um, yeah. On a tangent. Um, <laughs> this conversation is relevant to roughly seven people ever. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, in terms of content, um, I've started my first part in the Budget Kaldheim series. So every set I look through budget cards that you can pick up for Kaldheim and the first mm. part should be up now on TCG Player. So check nice. that out. Kaldheim looks great for budget play- budget players. So yeah, how about you? How are you doing, Scott? I'm good. I'm good. I played an awful lot of Commander on Spelltable with my friends yesterday. It was really, really good. I really needed it. that little bit of socialising and some good games. I was on for like six or seven hours. So oh, wow. Yeah. It felt good. It felt good. Speaking of Commander, though, I am reworking some of my decks. I'm now building Jolrael Monvuli Recluse as my mono green deck because 
it's just a mono green deck that draws cards. So good. So every card in the deck just draws another card so she can make cats and just beat down with them. So it's all good. I'm also working on a list for Glacian and Togo, my favorite partner commanders, because they're just two lads and they're rocks. Well, what's not to love about them? <laughs> just you because neat. Yeah. Yeah, I'm considering making it maybe my pauper EDH deck. Possibly. Ooh. Because there's a lot of options at common for really cool artifacts and stuff. But yeah. I'm also looking out for options for a mono black deck, but nothing has really grabbed my attention. I had a Gonti deck before and it was kind of fun, but obviously mm. it's not ideal over spell table and that kind of thing. If anyone has any sweet ideas, let me know on Twitter at Savantir, if you don't know my handle already. And then also in terms of content this week, I am doing Card Kingdom's pre-con upgrade for Phantom Premonition, which is the first ever Azorius pre-con, if you really? believe that. Yeah. I, I looked it up to be sure, and somehow in like 30-odd precons, they haven't done an Azorius precon. It's always what? been like Jeskai or Bant or something, but never just blue-white. Huh. Yeah. So that's there. Uh, that's the Fortel precon. Um, Fortel, not super, super powerful by itself in Commander. There aren't enough cards for a build-around on it, so it's tweaked slightly to focus more heavily on like exile effects and that kind of thing. So if you like exiling stuff in literally any way, shape, or form, that is the deck for you. It's on live over in Car Kingdom now anyway. But yes, that is everything this week for me from Magic. Outside of Magic, I've been taking part in a common enough ritual for myself, and that is to do another Soulsborne playthrough. So every few months, myself and my good friend Luke, I've lived around the corner from from when I was eight, and we've played through so many games together, you know, one of those friendships where, you know, his parents went away on holidays and was like, oh, you're grown up enough to stay at home by yourself now. And I'd be like, oh, sweet, cool. So I'm going to bring over the TV and the Xbox and we're going to play games for like three days straight and not sleep. That kind of friendship, you know. And every so often we chat over Discord or whatever and we do a Soulsborne playthrough of one of the games. This time around it's Dark Souls 2. There are like 40 bosses in the game. It's, it's ridiculous in terms of content, like so many pointless ones. But it's really good anyway. It's underrated, I think. But what we do is we pick a type of character that we want to play. I'm currently playing like a dexterity build, so lots of like fast weapons and stuff. He's choosing a strength build, so he's just like big whoppy pounding hammers and stuff. And we just go around doing silly stuff. It's great fun. We, we co-op into each other's game for every single area. So oh, it is nice. easier than just doing regular Dark Souls, but like I don't care. It's fun. But yeah, I've a little bit too much time put into uh the Soulsborne series it's great they're great it's a great franchise i feel similar with bloodborne i haven't yeah. played through that recently and i normally play through that every year it's not my yearly ritual to play through that so yeah. maybe i need to pick that up again yeah yeah there are some games that i just do regular enough playthroughs of the mm. Soulsborne series is one fallout new vegas is another skyrim is one that i do every like five years because it's such a massive undertaking yeah yeah stuff like that but yeah, Soulsborne series, if I'm ever bored, I'll pick up and play. That's how I've managed to get more than 3,000 hours played across the entire ooh, series. Ooh, ooh. That's a lot of hours. I, 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 there was a point where I was obsessed with it in the same way that I'm now currently obsessed with magic. So Hi. it explains a lot, I guess, right? But yeah, that's me for this week anyway. Have we actually got any housekeeping this week, Emma? Uh, yes, we do have some housekeeping this week. We would like to give a huge thank you to Dalhi Carroll for being the latest member of our stonks tier. So thank you very much and enjoy the stonks. Yes, thank you. And Emma, i got to say, you did a pretty good job at the pronunciation there as well. That is a relief because I was under immense pressure <laughs> to get you, that right. <laughs> you, you almost nailed it. 
which Almost. as far as an English person goes is probably the best you can ever do. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'll take it. And I'm so sorry. Otherwise. <laughs> If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show, and their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. All right, so what are we talking about this week? We're talking about Twiddlestorm. I hear you're a big fan of it. I'm a real big fan, yes. That's what I say. (laughs) Anytime I talk about anything is it related, I'm a real big fan. But before we get into that, we have a card of the week, except it's not my card of the week. It's Emma's. I've done the 180. I've got card of the week this week just because we have Kaldheim released um, Mm -hmm. with the emphasis on snow and snow permanence. It's always a good idea to kind of revise previous existing snowcasts to see whether they fit now. And I do believe there is yeah. one in particular that could be quite good, and that is On Thin Ice. So On Thin mm. Ice came out back in Modern Horizons a couple of years ago now. Uh, so one mana enchantment, snow enchantment aura, the typing can be relevant. And it reads, enchant snowland you control. When On Thin Ice enters the battlefield, exile target creature the opponent controls until On Thin Ice leaves the battlefield. Essentially, it's a chain for the rocks, but for snow. But if you're just going to be running these snow basics and like the new snow jewel lands, it mm. might be a really good option in modern just to have this as like your fifth to sixth exile effect. If you're like playing like a, a control mm. or a mid range shell, it can get blown out by Ghost Quarter, which can make it a little awkward. However, if you put this on a basic, it does nullify Field of Ruin, which is also a common mm. land hate in modern. Also, in Commander, it seems a really good option because it is tutorable with the new Search for Glory, since Search for Glory yes. searches for snow permanents. So you can always toot this up, deal with the creature, and carry on with your day. And for, for like 70 cents, it just seems a really, really good pickup, especially with the popularity of snow, thanks mm. to Kaldheim. I'm just thinking as well, there are some mono-white Heliod Ballista decks now in Modern. Yes. This could add an extra pip of devotion for Nyctos. This is it, yeah. It's very easy to add, especially if you're already in white builds and turning your basics into snow basics is fine, especially on a budget because they're going to be in standard and they're going to be as affordable as basics compared to like Modern Horizons and Cold Snap, which were quite expensive. Like the snow is pretty much free in a financial sense as well as a deck building sense. So I, yeah. I think this card's one to look out for. And for 70 cents, it just feels like a really good option to have. Yep. Yeah, it's a great call. All right, so we're going to start talking about the main thing that we're doing today, which is a Modern Highlights, which is a sort of a deep dive into a specific archetype or deck. And this week is one of my favorites, Twiddlestorm. So what is it? It is a combo deck that functions around the Storm mechanic, and it looks to reduce the opponent's life total to zero using Grapeshot, most usually. And it does so by utilizing what are known as Twiddle effects. So Twiddle is a card from all the way back in Alpha, which is one blue mana for an instant that says tap or untap target permanent. So what you're looking to do is you're looking to use these to generate mana. And you're going to do that using the most important card in the deck, which is Lotus Field, which is a land from M20 with Hexproof, and it enters the battlefield tapped. But when it enters the battlefield, you sacrifice two lands. However, it taps for three mana of any one color. So on, say, turn three... You float two blue mana from, say, two islands. 
you play the Lotus Field, you sacrifice the two islands, then you use one of your Twiddle effects to untap the Lotus Field, and now you have access to an additional three mana. Essentially, these Twiddle effects turn into rituals when you have this land out. So instead of having to use stuff like Pyretic Ritual or Desperate Ritual, you're instead using Twiddles. There are a couple of different versions of this list, and one of the reasons why we're bringing it up now, apart from the fact that I love it, I absolutely adore this deck, it is probably my favourite deck of all time, but it recently won a modern challenge, which is absurd because, <laughs> like, the, the pilot themselves, their name on Magic Online is I Play Bad Decks. Like Amazing. It's, <laughs> it's the perfect name for the perfect deck. It's a really fun deck. It's hard to explain how it feels until you start playing with it. And then you're like, oh yeah, this is some big Galaxy Brain level stuff. <laughs> it just feels great to play with. If like when you win with this, it's unlike Giftstorm, for example, in that it's not a deterministic kill. So it's not a case of, by the time I cast Gifts Ungiven, you're already dead. You know, that's not how this works. It can easily fizzle if you make the wrong choices and draw your cards incorrectly or in the wrong order or whatever. So it has a lot more play to it in that sense as well. The deck can be built in sort of three main ways there's a grixis version there's a teamer version and then there's the version that i use which is mono blue so the grixis version the main difference with it is it has access to cyborg cards like thoughtsies sometimes you'll see ad nauseum as an alternate way to combo off you've got fatal push to deal with early creatures and that kind of thing but you also in the main deck have access to wishclaw talisman which is an artifact from throne of eldrain if you haven't seen it you haven't played commander in a while then it's mm-hmm. one and a black for the artifact, and it enters the battlefield with three wish counters on it. You can pay one, tap, and remove a wish counter from Wishcloth Talisman to search your library for a card, put it into your hand, and shuffle your library, and then an opponent gains control of Wishcloth Talisman, and you can only activate this during your turn. So you use this to essentially find whatever you need at the time. So whether that's your Lotus Field in order to combo off, or another twiddle effect to generate more mana or whatever it is or a past in flames and that kind of thing the downside to this version is it's very weak against search taxes so say like leon and arbiter or ashiok dream render that kind of thing uh, anything that stops you from searching a library is basically turning off all the cards that you built this for yeah. um, teamer is another version that is very similar except it runs sylvan scrying instead of wishcloud talisman so you just use sylvan scrying to get the Lotus Field in particular and go from there. Because without Lotus Field, you can't combo off. Similarly, it is weaker to search taxes like that and Blood Moon as well. Um, And the version that I play with is Mono Blue, which is mostly islands and then just the Lotus Field. Which means that you have more game against Blood Moon. You can still sort of play around it to some degree, but you do have reduced sideboard options. They're sort of the three main ones. The general tips and things that we're going to be going through here are going to apply to essentially all of these different builds. With Twiddlestorm, there is obviously some key cards that you need to consider and cards that you need to protect in order to carry out your strategy. The key one, obviously, being Lotus Field, because without mm-hmm. that, you cannot combo off. Also, the Hexproof is super relevant when you're in a meta game full of Ghost Quarters and Field of Ruins and all this like land hate. Mm. It's very, very important that you don't free for one yourself because you have to sack a couple of lands off to Lotus Field and you don't want to lose it as a result, unlike the original Lotus Veil, which doesn't have Hexproof. Yeah, absolutely. So another key card is one of your main twiddle effects, which is Psychic Puppetry. So for one generic and a blue, you get an instant arcane, which is tap or untap target permanent, and you can splice into arcane for a blue. 
So yeah, it's one of your most important twiddle effects. Um, it just makes your other arcane spells mana neutral or mana positive, which is really important considering you want to chain mm. off with your Lotus Fields. It's probably one of the most important instants in the deck. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, with the other arcane spells that are in the deck, Reach Through Mists is one blue for an instant that says draw a card. Peer Through Depths is one and a blue for an instant. Look at the top five cards of your library, reveal an instant or sorcery, put one in your hand, put the rest in the bottom. And then Ideas Unbound is really powerful. It's blue-blue for a sorcery, another arcane spell, draw three, and then discard three cards at the end of the turn. What you do is when you play one of these, you also reveal psychic puppetry from your hand and say you're going to splice onto arcane, you pay an extra blue, and whatever arcane spell you're casting also gets psychic puppetry's ability, which is tap or untap target permanent. Let's say you're casting an idea is unbound. You pay blue-blue, and then the blue for splicing onto arcane for psychic puppetry. The Lotus Field is tapped for three blue. You spend that three blue, you're now drawing three cards and you've upped your storm count and you've untapped your Lotus Field, which means you're now mana neutral, but you're three cards up. This is how you chain through the deck, essentially. Nice. Another important card, although you run it as a one-off, it has a very, very important role in the deck and that is Merchant Scroll. It's just a really good way to find any of the pieces that you need, such as Psychic Puppetry, Echoing Truth, Dispel or Peer Through Depths. It just acts like the extra copy of those cards because you net so much mana from your Lotus Fields, it just allows you to get whatever you need. Yeah. Merchant Scroll is the one card that every time I cast it, my opponent is like, wait, that's legal in Modern? Yeah. It, yeah, it was in 9th edition. I don't know what they were thinking. Not 9th edition, sorry. 8th edition. So lastly, we have two very <laughs> powerful spells. Um, the first one is Past in Flames, which if you play Storm or familiar with Storm, you're aware of the power level of that card. And the second one is Underworld Breach, which is a new addition to the deck. Again, you run it as like a one-off, it seems, in like mm. a lot of lists. But it's, it's not necessary, but it's much easier to win by recasting all the spells a second time. Underworld Breach Escaping Graveshot can dramatically reduce the number of spells you need to win, so you can just do it again. Breach can also achieve a much higher damage output, so any incidental life gained by opponents is negligible. It just feels very powerful to have that option. Just go, oh yeah, by the way, I have Underworld Breach. Yeah, it's really good to see your opponent like turn 3 Uro and then turn 4 or uh, Omnath, and they're like, oh, I'm at like 38 life, and you're like, I don't care. Here's <laughs> 7 Grape Shots. So there are a lot of very, very powerful cards in this deck. It is incredibly synergy heavy. The rest of the deck is essentially made up of cantrips because you pretty much just need to find these pieces in order to go off and that is it. Like nothing else matters. If you're, if you're not a very good person for working out whether you're supposed to be the beatdown or not, play this deck because you will always be the beatdown. You are always the scary person who is going to kill someone out of nowhere. It's a very hard deck to pilot. It's a very rewarding deck to pilot. But essentially, you do not care what your opponent's doing at all. You can interact and slow them down. That's absolutely fine. But ultimately, you are not trying to stop their game plan. Well, you are. You're killing them. That's how you're dealing with their game plan. But with that said, there are a couple of cards that you need to be aware of. And the number one, the absolute number one, is Damping Sphere. Never let this spell resolve or have an answer to it, or have a way to deal with it. And that's why Merchant Scroll is so good here, because in the main deck you have one Echoing Truth, and in the sideboard you've got more. You use it to get rid of Damping Sphere. That's the main reason for it. It is so heinous against your deck. Like, Lotus Field ends up tapping for one colourless mana. It doesn't even tap for blue anymore. It's just colourless. In addition to, like, hampering the number of spells you can cast. Yeah, like color, having a colourless source in your deck is just so damaging because everything mm -hmm. is pretty much a one blue pip. 
you really need the blue. Another card that is pretty backbreaking against you, which we talked about a little while ago, which is Blood Moon. Depending on the sort of build that you play, this can be quite backbreaking. Um, Mm. It's devastating if you don't anticipate it, especially if they play it like a head of curd off off like a Simeon Spirit Guide or something like that. As you said, Scott, the main deck Echoing Truth is a good Mm. way to counteract this, thanks to Merchant Scroll. As you also said earlier, the mono blue variant of Twiddle Storm is less susceptible to this, but you can still find answers for it if required. Yeah, for sure. And then the other one off to the side, I suppose, is Talia, Guardian of Thraben. Like, she's strong, but she's not game ending. You know, like, I've I've definitely won games through Athalia. Like, that's mm. the sort of power that we're speaking of here. But it's it's closer to a magical Christmas land to win those kind of games through a taxing effect like that. You're better off trying to find a way to get rid of it. Like, mm. for example, main deck Echoing Truth. Secretly the best card in the deck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes. With decks like this, we obviously have some good matchups. And... I don't like this one. <laughs> if you if you can see if you can read the show notes, any of our patrons will be able to see this. <laughs> I've literally just put down under good matchups Tron and Amulet, and then the the reasons for it after it is lol tap your lands. First of all, you're an incredibly fast combo deck that just wants to spew a bunch of spells and win the game. Amulet and Tron have very few answers to that, even in the board. So that is powerful in enough of itself. But if you also take into account the fact that your twiddle effects can also just tap your opponent's lands on their upkeep, you'll just turn them off critical turns of those couple of games where they can just squeeze a win in, where they can get like a a Nugan down or a Titan to just get a quick squeaky win out. To be fair, like even a turn three Khan, turn four Ugin doesn't really do a lot against you. Like no. I can take a card out of your hand, cool, you can replace it with a with another cantrip. Like even mm-hmm. Fortnite Seer doesn't really do that much and that's like the default option to deal with combo decks like this is a horrible matchup as as someone who plays strong this is a horrible matchup (laughs) it's really bad i've only ever lost one game against tron and that's because they had karn the great creator and it was back when micah and lattice was still legal and they somehow managed to get one out i can see that but that was it that was the only way they could win yep and same goes for amulet titan like you can just tap their key lands and the field Mm -hmm. of the dead grind is just too slow it just doesn't do a lot against you because you can just kill them before they before they get that value feels really good to tap one of their bounce lands in their upkeep (laughs) oh beautiful love it (laughs) but yeah and generally speaking slower decks as well like decks that don't put up enough pressure or enough disruption you're just going to run over them like you're just going to go way 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 over the top because you're going to have the opportunity to you know if the, if your opponent can't slow you down or kill you you're, you're running free you know mm. but with that said we have some absolutely abysmal <laughs> abysmal matchups and some of these have actually altered how i build my deck and i'll explain yeah. that when we get to it but the first one that we have on the list here is spirits like i said a, minute, a second ago disruption plus clock oh god no we're gonna die like it's not good to face like spell quellers and the fact that they also have damping spheres in their sideboards because they can play around it because they're like well i've got flash threats so i'll play something on my turn then on your turn then i'll file something in and yeah you got a for file as well yeah. which just mitigates that yeah. yeah yeah it's very very rough very rough especially if they're ready for storm and they have an unsettled mariner in either the main or the side mm. that is a beating as well gross yeah Speaking of tribal decks, humans is also a really bad matchup for you because meddling yeah. mage just turns off your whole deck, from what I can tell. 
Yeah. Well, again, the magical main deck Echoing Truth is great because if they cast a meddling mage and go name grape shot, then you can't do anything. The only thing that will deal with it is the Echoing Truth to bounce it so that you can storm off and then grape shot. So yeah, it's it's a tough one. Yeah. We did talk about how slower decks are often a good matchup. Blue White Control kind of wants to say otherwise just because it has a load of counter spells and you just can't mm. keep up with the amount of disruption they have. Um, also, yeah. Narset Part of Avail just absolutely hoses you because you just want to draw for your deck. Yeah, it can be quite tough because with the amount of cantrips and stuff and the fact that your storm engine essentially is centred around drawing cards, Narset really hoses you hard. Again, main deck Echo in Truth is great for this. I think people could probably start to see why there's a main deck Echo in Truth now. Because there are just so many things that get answered by it so easily. But yeah, to have every single turn be like, uh, I'm going to tap my land for mana. I'm going to cast ideas on Ben, splice and puppetry. I've got no mana, open it. And then your opponent just goes, mana leak. Or logic not for one. or whatever. And, like, and you're just getting wrecked by stuff like this. Of what, in the meantime, they're spending minimal resources in order to keep you off your game plan, allowing them to develop more. Like it's like yeah. a free for one on yourself, isn't it? When that when that happens, kind of. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty tough. Um, it, it's winnable. Don't get me wrong; it is winnable. And slower matchups like that are not too bad because you have more of an opportunity to find an opening and win. But yeah, it's still very very tough because you have to brute force your way through counters essentially. And another bad one is Burn and Prowess. Yeah. I'm kind of lumping the two of them together because they're both incredibly fast clocks. And like we said earlier on, fast clocks, very, very hard to deal with. It's like how Storm has a bad matchup against Burn, not because it can't beat it, but because very often Burn is just going to have you dead on like turn three or four anyway. And that forces a time limit on the game, which means that you don't have time to set up. You have to be set up and just win. So... It could be tough. And yeah, Eidolon is a hell of a card. Hell of a card, yeah. Good old mm. Echoing Truth saves the day. Yeah. Well, there, there have been a couple of burn matchups where someone has played an Eidolon and I've then, you know, floated the two mana and then played the Lotus Field, literally cast the Twiddle to untap it and then a Grape Shot to kill it. And oh, fair. pass the turn and then just hope that's enough and they don't have a second Eidolon. Sure. Like, well, that works quite well because if you manage to draw the Underworld Breach, you can just get that Grape Shot back as well. Just get so. it back again, yeah. That's it. So that's sort of the long and the short about the good and the bad matchups. I have added a sideboard section to this for good reason, because the other modern highlight decks that we've done, it's, the sideboard has kind of been fairly straightforward. You know, it's like, oh, you've got some graveyard hate. You've got this, you've got that, you've got the other. Sideboard is very, very different in this deck because I think it's best to just sort of go through it, I think. Yeah. The idea, essentially, is that with this deck in particular, you do not ever try to answer your opponent's game plan. Never. You kind of don't care what your opponent's doing at all. But, you know, if if you think that there are a couple of things that you need to bring in, say, like a couple of spell pierces to slow down a couple of bits or to sort of fight over the hate pieces and that kind of thing, that's absolutely fine. But your key plan here, post-board, is to play around their hate that they're bringing in for you, as you do with a lot of combo decks. But one thing that I recommend in particular, and this is how I play with my build, is to consider diversifying your win conditions post-board. Some Storm players will be familiar with this concept to a certain degree, you know, where post-board they're relying a little bit less on Past and Flames, and they bring in, say, like an Empty the Warrens and that kind of thing. It's a similar kind of idea. 
but there are multiple different ones that Twiddlestorm uses. And we're going to sort of run through a couple of them here. Emma, would you like to take the first one? Yep. So a good sideboard option to have, especially in these sort of storm decks, is Thing in the Ice, which is a, a card you're quite a big fan <laughs> of, Scott. <laughs> Love it. Because Thing in the Ice comes as like an 04 with like four counters on it. And the yeah. amount of spells, instants and sorceries you run, you can, you can just reduce this almost in the same turn and just have this massive threat. It's like a 7-6, I want to say. 7-8. Oh, 7-8. Okay, I sound corrected. <laughs> Start with a 7-8 threat, and you can use the twiddles as well to tap down blockers so you can just connect. And the fact that it does 7 damage just really minimises the amount of storm you need to go off, just making the win condition so much easier. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, people are going to side out creature hate because there's no creatures in the main board. So you can yep. just side that in just to trump that, and it just seems really powerful. Yeah, 100%. I toyed with saying this to you or not. Uh, I, I, I wasn't sure, but I think I will. I brought Thing in the Ice in against a Bogles player last week. How dare you? I mean, it's the correct decision, but how dare you? But they had a turn one deafening silence. <sighs> Bogles is playing deafening silence? Uh, I can probably see why, actually, with the whole oops or mm -hmm. spells and stuff. Yeah. So they played, <laughs> they played deafening silence and then played out a Bogle and then continued on with a couple of other things. They hit, oh, they hit me with a rest in peace as well. Uh, so I had a rest in peace and a deafening silence sitting out. And I was like, okay, that's fine. They went first because I won the first round. Mm -hmm. And I went turn to Thing in the Ice. And they were like, oh, <laughs> okay, well, like deafening silence, that's going to slow it down, right? Nope. Mm -hmm. Because on the following turn, I just went on my turn, cast a cantrip. And then on their turn, in their upkeep, I tap a land. Yeah. And then that's two ice counters off already. Yeah. Then the same thing the next turn. And then... From that point, like I hit them, for, hit them for seven a couple of times, and then like twiddled them in their upkeep and that kind of stuff. And before long, they they were just dead. You know, like thing in the ice can absolutely completely change your game plan. You don't have to worry about storm. You're just doing this weird tempo thing. It's really really cool. It's really fun. Similarly, Aria of Flame is one that we're seeing play in the sideboard of Gift Storm, which is very very powerful, particularly against Death Shadow. Your opponents there are just spending all of their resources to knock seven shades of crap out of themselves. Then they play, a, you know, a 5-5 five, five Death Shadow, and you're like, that's neat. Aria of Flame, kill the Death Shadow. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, <laughs> and then you just cast a couple of spells. <laughs> like, you don't even need to try and storm off at that point. All you have to do is do stuff like twiddle their lands or twiddle their attackers so that they can't do damage to you and you're incidentally burning the face off them, you know. It's really, really good slow burn win condition against more disruptive decks, you know, ones that run a lot of, like, thought teases and that kind of thing, but not ones that can actually remove it very easily. So, like, that Shadow, Jund, that kind of thing. Uh, next one is a classic Stormwind condition, uh, which is Empty the Warrens, which is really, really mm. good for matchups that just run no sweepers and you can just overwhelm the board with creatures. Because you're twiddling so hard and you're generating such a high storm count, you can make quite a lot of goblins. Yeah, yeah, for sure. One great thing about it as well is that you kind of don't need to do much with it either. You know, mm. you can you can get your land down, you can twiddle a couple of times and just do like Empty the Warrens for five or six and you just have a massive board and your opponent has to deal with that. And while they're dealing with that, you can set yourself up for a storm win con. You're not necessarily going to win the game with the goblin tokens. They'll shorten your clock by a significant amount. But it can often in this deck more so than gift storm can be just a distraction to allow you more time to set up. Mm. <laughs> there's, there's one win condition that I run and I haven't seen anyone else run, but I run it as a one-off, as a safety in the sideboard 
Yeah, I love again. this card. I'll be honest, I'm a big fan of this card. <laughs> yeah. Against uh, against control decks, I run one Sphinx of the Final Word. I borrow this tech from Ad Nauseam. Oh, it's unreal. So I, Sphinx of the Final Word, I'll read it out. It's five and two blue for a 5-5 five, five Sphinx that can't be countered. It has flying, it has hexproof, and instant and sorcery spells you control can't be countered. So this is Control's absolute worst nightmare. They can't deal with it. And then everything afterwards can't be dealt with. Post-board, they've probably taken out, like, nearly all of their removal or sweepers. So, like, how are they supposed to deal with this? If they don't have something like a Supreme Verdict, they they die in four turns. Mm. They just die in four turns. Like, that's just how it is. It can punch through a Celestial Colonnade with ease. I have this in my sideboard from the days when Blue-White Control was significantly more popular and Uro and Amnath weren't around. But I'm kind of afraid to take it out because as soon as I do, someone's going to rock up with traditional Blue-White Control and I'm going to get absolutely curb stomped again. Mm. So it's there as a safety. Card is great. Just want to see the reaction of someone to go, what? What is this card? Is it standard back in, you know, 2016? (laughs) Yeah, it's really, really good. And then lastly, we have Precognition Field, which is not a card that you see often, especially in modern. Back in Dominaria, this came out. Uh, so for four mana, free generic and a blue, you get an enchantment. Uh, you may look at the top card of your library. Uh, you can do this at any time. You may cast the top card of your library if it's an instant or sorcery, and you can pay free mana and to exile the top card of your library. It's kind mm. of like blue experimental frenzy for instants and sorceries, really. And it's just a really, really good way to filter out cards you can exile lands off it if you don't need any lands and you can just keep mm-hmm. that chain of spells going yeah the key thing with this is that if you get hit with something like a rest in peace and you still want to be able to do a more traditional storm kind of win with the grape shot mm-hmm. precognition field is the option for you because it's so much easier to use your cantrips to try and chain into more spells mm-hmm. on the top of your deck you're going to get through those like little pockets of lands and stuff much easier because you're able to play stuff off the top of your deck and stuff as well. So you can still reach high storm count with precog field, but without having to use past and flames or graveyard and stuff. Generally speaking, when it comes to sideboarding with a combo deck, you don't want to dilute the game plan too much at all. So generally you would only really kind of sideboard up to about five cards, roughly. Yeah. What I generally do is I reduce my reliance on the graveyard, so I tend to remove one past in flames. So I leave one past in flames and one underworld breach. Sometimes I'll remove the breach because they might have, say, a bunch of relics sitting there and just constantly chewing away at the graveyard, and it's kind of pointless then. Try not to remove many arcane spells. Generally speaking, reach through mist is the weakest because it's just draw a card. And if you're going to side in counter spells like spell pierce or mystical dispute, Make sure that you remove sorcery speed cantrips like sleight of hand over instant speed ones like opt because you can hold up the counter spells and then if you don't need them, you can cantrip and continue to sculpt your hand. Mm. So that was the sideboard section. That is something that is new to modern highlights because, well, we didn't really need it before. No. It's just, you know, bring in graveyard hate against dredge was probably a redundant section, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> and, and a lot of the, and a lot of the cyborgs, of decks we've talked about is very meta dependent they don't have yeah. these transformational cyborgs they don't do anything mm-hmm. different post board they just bring in tools to deal with certain decks whereas Twiddlestorm is quite a it's got a very versatile cyborg as a result yeah for sure and with that we also have our usual tips and tricks section so got an awful lot of stuff i have probably more time played with this deck than any other deck 
possibly ever, except maybe Is It Phoenix, back when it was legal. Oh. Yeah. Let's not go there. I'm not I'm not in the mood for another Fateless Hooting <laughs> rant. It's been a hell of a week. <laughs> okay. First, first tip up is do not be afraid to mulligan. Like we said, the most important piece in the entire deck is Lotus Field. Mm-hmm. Get that. Make sure you get that. So if your hand is kind of light on cantrips and doesn't have a Lotus Field, consider mulliganing. If your hand doesn't have a Lotus Field, but it has a, like five cantrips to help dig for it, that's probably a keep. I have won against slower decks on mulls to three or even two. Just finding the Lotus Field and then being like, uh, it's going to take them at least six turns to win. I'm just going to draw out of this. And then yeah. you do. Another tip to keep in mind is cast Ideas and Bound before combo turns to dig hard for the pieces that you need. Yeah, because you don't need to hold on to every arcane spell for the yeah. combo turn. Just make sure that you find the pieces you need to actually combo. Speaking of, like I said, it's totally okay to cast these spells beforehand, like you, like you just mentioned there, because you can flash them back later with Past and Flames, and Psychic Puppetry still splices onto Arcane, onto spells that are in the graveyard. So when you flash them back with Past and Flames, or you escape them with Underworld Breach, you can still splice, which means that you can still get the untap effect, and keep going. Uh, next is to take advantage of the slower matchups. If you're not under pressure to win or under pressure to die, spend your time sculpting your hand and finding the best opening. As Scott mm. mentioned earlier, you are the aggressor. You are the one that's looking to kill your opponent before they kill you. And if you're playing against like a control matchup or just something like Tron, you've got turns to just kind of, you know, sculpt your future turns and just allow you to pop off. Absolutely. In addition to that, you should have no problem being able to dictate the speed of the game. So don't feel like you're under pressure to do a full 20 damage with a single grape shot in one turn. Now, there will be times when that is absolutely fine and we'll just win you the game and it'll all be fine. But sometimes it is right to just do a small grape shot in order to wipe the board. Like I explained earlier against Burn, killing an Eidolon and then hoping that you get an untap step. Or if you're against humans, a small little one to kill a meddling mage and a Thalia, and then if I untap, I'll try and win from there, that kind of thing. That's important to figure out when that is needed as well. Um, Next is to use your twiddles aggressively. So when I mean by aggressively, not necessarily on your own stuff, because Mm -hmm. twiddle is a very powerful effect. It can generate tempo, and that tempo gives you time to find your pieces so you can combo off. There's a good few ways to use your twiddles aggressively. So the first one is to tap opponent's lands, such as like if they're on Tron or Amulet Titan, like we mentioned earlier, mm. or if they're like Sacred Exist Death Shadow and they only have one blue source, you can tap the blue source to stop them casting a stubborn denial for one of your spells. Mm. You can tap the graveyard hate to force people to use them. So tap like a soul guide lantern or a relic of progenitus is, is a really good way because then they can't interact with your graveyard. Tapping Trinosphere, turning it off is a really good play because, mm-hmm. you know, people forget Trinosphere actually has another line of text, which is yeah. one that a lot of people seem to forget. Yeah. Trinosphere only works when it's untapped. Who knew? Yeah. And another good one, this is probably one of my favorite ones, is to tap Aetherfile on upkeep so they can't bring in any threats against you. They can't do anything at instant speed and they have to play at sorcery speed, which is so big when you're looking to be very instant yourself. Absolutely. And when it comes to Underworld Breach, like we said, this was a new addition. It's not necessarily to win the game. It can absolutely rack up absurd amounts of damage, and that's great if you need it. But it's also really, really good at refilling if you're playing a long game, because despite the glass cannon nature of this deck, it can actually grind out really, really, really well. Sometimes you just cast Underworld Breach and then a couple of twiddle effects and then just say like four cantrips from the graveyard in order to just get a brand new hand. 
that's often enough to help you win on like the next turn or something. But the number one thing, the number one tip that I can give is if you're going to play this deck, goldfish and practice the bejesus out of this deck. Practice it like crazy because it is complex. It is difficult. There are so many different lines. It is absolutely super wrinkly brain plays. But like, oh God, you got to be able to learn how to explain it to your opponents as well. You know, you got to be like, have you seen this play out before? No? Okay. So this taps for three mana. I cast an arcane spell and splice. So that uses three mana. So this one taps and adds one storm count and draws three cards or whatever. You need to be able to explain that in a way that most of your opponents will understand it so that you can shortcut it and play through it quickly. Because otherwise you will go to time and get frustrated trying to explain how a deck works to your opponent. And that's not how you play magic. So, yes, practice, 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 and practice explaining it as well. It's complicated. It is complicated. It's also really good practice to have a notepad and pen and write F6 and give it to your opponent as well, just for when you're going through your combo. I've seen everybody and their mother put down a piece of paper with F6 written on it in front of me when I'm playing this deck. (laughs) But you know what? (laughs) That's fine. That's fine. You've got got permission to play around on your phone. I don't need you to win. But yeah, that's... The opponent's just a guest, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, and welcome to me playing Magic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a great deck. It's fantastic. Uh, in the show notes, we are going to have a couple of lists. We're going to have the list that won the Modern Challenge recently. We're going to have my Mono Blue list, which is actually priced at a very paltry $85 currently Cheap for the chips. whole deck. Yeah. Absolutely. Power to dollar ratio. This is probably the most powerful deck, Mm. in my opinion, in the right hands. And then the other list as well is the teamer one running Sylvan Scrying and Veil of Summer and stuff in the sideboard as well. So that is it for Twiddlestorm. Before we sign off, have we got any Q&A, Emma? We do have some Q&A. So we have our weekly tweet from Evie the Mage 97, who Mm -hmm. has dropped in just to say, so they've been brewing Jund in Commander. And lately, they have noticed that a lot of the staple removal spells are under $5 on TCG Player, uh, such as Abrupt Decay, Maelstrom Pulse, and Wingrace's Judgment are all fantastic in EDH and are great pickups for any green-black, green-black X decks. Mm. Um, they also say they love the cast and keep up the great work, and thank you very much. Good stuff. Thank you very much, Evie. The fact that uh, Abrupt Decay is under 5 bucks is fantastic. Like, yeah. I remember when that was played in Modern like all the time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, back when like Jund and stuff were like good, good. decks. Yeah. Thank you for listening to us here at the BM Cast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Alejandro, Kilgore Trail 503, Max Makes Magic, Odin Egan, Philippe Delmott. The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Bradley Rose, Stephanie Pace, Ian Holland, and The Pauper Guild. And at the Stonks tier, we have Anga Orr, Scott Creech, Simon Grip, Brian Madden, Ryan Collins, Nerblin, Everett Brogan, and Dahi Carroll. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash budgetmagiccast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagiccast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. 
We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.